0: The reason I I came out and moved out here, but I I think a person can do whatever they want. It's like the it's like that fly magazine. It's 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 like a very niche thing. So he's got to change it a little bit, you know, to to make it a success. Or you know, things come and go. Or maybe he's got to move to a smaller community. The first thing that uh, Tom Morgan did when he bought uh, Winston Rod Company is he
1: moved to Twin Bridges. That was Bob Clay describing how he's been able to find success building bamboo spay rods in a tiny little niche. Let's find out how to build a bamboo rod today on the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, how's it going today? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. Did you know you can read the entire transcript for this episode, another service we offer if you click over into the show notes uh, at the, uh, if you go down your app, just click uh, the little link at the top and it'll take you to the uh, the blog post. And at the bottom there is the complete transcript where you can actually read along. Uh, you can search. There's a bunch of little cool features there if you wanna find anything we talked about specifically. Uh, we've been adding that. So hope, hope that helps uh, today uh today bob clay one of the best bamboo spade rod builders on the planet shares the story of how he built it all we hear the connection to tom uh, morgan back in the day and how tom helped him get started we talk about the steps and resources to to build your own bamboo rod and the number one tool that allowed everyone to build a bamboo rod Uh, that was a game changer that's still the number one tool before we get started let's hear from our sponsors Sawyer offers a full line of modern and traditional products for oarsmen, canoeists, kayakers, and paddlers from all genres, providing unsurpassed function, performance, and beauty. Head over to wetflyswing.com slash Sawyer to grab your set today. That's Sawyer, S-A-W-Y-E-R to get started right now. TurtleBox is the loudest, truly portable waterproof Bluetooth speaker available. We believe in respecting the peace and beauty while on the water, but listening to great tunes before or after can be amazing. Why not fire up this podcast or a little music after a big day on the water? Head over to wetflyswing.com slash turtlebox to get started today. Without further ado, here's Bob Clay from riverwatchrods.com. How's it going, Bob?
0: Pretty good. Beautiful morning.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is. It's beautiful here, too. I think we're getting... uh, we're getting some pretty good weather this... Uh, I guess it's still spring. How's how the how's the fishing looking up there? How's the uh, steelhead action? Is that it's, on?
0: It's been a little bit cold. Uh, the reports that I've got, it's been been a little bit slow. But I think in the coming week here, things will pick up as the temperatures warm up. But, uh, you know, the bad thing about that is if it gets too hot, then all that snow is going to start to come down from the mountains. So oh. you're always looking for that magic window.
1: Yeah, that's right. So, so spring is a little bit more... Uh, the fall is a little more stable. You can kind of count on things a little more then.
0: Yeah. The, the fish in the spring, you know, people forget they come in and uh, they're looking to do their business and, and get out of there. And when the conditions are right, they're gone. Yeah. So, uh, not in the fall when the fish stack up, you know, they just get more and more and more as the season progresses. So it's really a, it's a tricky window.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Cool. Well, we're, we're probably going to dig into a little bit on uh, a steelhead, uh, but I wanted to start out just focusing on, you know, kind of your company and bamboo rods. We haven't really had an episode um, on bamboo. We've actually had, a, I've had an old uh, past listener or a past uh, guest who said he was going to potentially start a podcast all about bamboo rods. I don't think he has yet, but there's, so there's some interest out there. Um, before we get into that, just talk about how you first got into fly fishing.
0: Oh, I was in Calgary. And um, I was also interested in the outdoors and, uh, and, uh, and fishing, and um, I worked at a department store called Woodward's part-time after school, and there was an old English guy there who ran the fishing department, so he kind of introduced me to fishing. He didn't have a car, so the store was closed on Monday, so every Monday we would head out fishing, and basically he mentored me and showed me what to do.
1: Oh, wow. And, and that was in, uh, and that was in Calgary. Is that uh, and now you're you're in BC right now?
0: Right. I, I moved to BC in 1977. That was uh, probably in the late 60s, early 70s that I was fishing in the Bow River in Calgary. The bow has changed a lot but primarily then it was a rainbow fishery. And now the brown trout have moved in. They were planted up around Banff and they moved in and they found the habitat below Calgary really to their liking with the warmer water so uh, like i say things have really changed there
1: all right right gotcha see so you, so you moved over to bc and did you go right away into the skeena country
0: well what happened is that we uh, harry and i who was the english fellow i was talking about we would take annual trips out here in the early 70s until 77 when i moved uh for steelhead fishing uh, primarily to the Skeeta area where i am now fish the Kispiox, the bulkley and the, and the maurice babine uh, places that we could get to by car
1: gotcha gotcha so yeah you covered it you were fishing already before you got there and then and then so the 70s when did um you know the the bamboo rod company and and kind of getting into that that side when, when did all that start
0: well, you know, the well, first thing I did here was build a house. I bought a piece of property and built a house, ended up getting married, and I did a lot of part-time work. There's not a lot of full-time work in this area. There's lots of sort of casual work or, or the other alternative, of course, working at a sawmill, which I really didn't dig that much. I did try it for a little bit, and then I got into guiding in the mid-'80s. And uh, you know, sort of, that's where my fishing connections uh, sort of came in. That's where I met my mentor, uh, Tom Morgan, and uh, got to know di- diff- different people in the business. You know.
1: Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, perfect. Yeah, this is this is uh, this is getting good. I I, uh, I tend to not do a ton of research on these because I love to be surprised, and uh, <laughs> and I think it keeps it more interesting. So I didn't know. Um, yeah, the Tom Morgan connection. I, I didn't realize that. And We had actually an episode um, not with Tom, but with uh, the new, uh, you know, owners. Um, and I, I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. But they described the uh, Tom Morgan story, which is a really amazing one, right? How he, how he built. Um, well, I mean, actually, I think he didn't build any of his rods. Right, his wife once he came down with his illness. Um, but yeah, talk about that. Talk about yeah, talk about the Tom Morgan connection. How did you how did you connect with yeah. him and then yeah.
0: I, I met Tom in the '80s. I was down at the, in San Francisco at the Sportsman Show, you know, looking for clients. The Ed Rice uh, Sportsman shows were big back then, and I, I met him there. And uh, he, I so I invited him to come up. He was he would come up with a group of fellows, and they would go fish the susten. And so I said, if you got a few days, you know, after or before, come by and we'll fish the river. So we did, and you know, we did that for a number of years, and became uh, pretty good friends. And I was interested in building rods, so I was uh, starting to build uh, graphite rods right then, getting the blanks, you know, and, and putting the components on them. He kind of knew my uh, interest in, in rod building, and one day I got a phone call from him, and uh, by this time he had got MS, and um, he, wasn't, he couldn't do physical things, so he asked me if I could come down and help him do the physical parts of it. And I didn't really have any experience in what we were doing. Basically, we were we were machining. We were machining parts for a new idea he had. That turned out to be the uh, Tom Morgan hand mill, right? And uh, that was a a new idea on ways to build a bamboo rod. Before that, it was either the hand planing on a on on a form or production rod building, which was popular before the war, before World War Two. So he'd come up with this new idea. he'd dis- he'd sold Winston by then, and uh, he was allowed to build, say a hundred I think a hundred graphite rods a year. It was sort of a non-competition clause, but he wanted to develop these other things. So he'd asked me to help him out. so I went down there and helped him out. And the next winter, I spent about every day on the phone with him trying to work out the kinks on the on the new system, which turned out to be the uh, Tom Morgan Ham. So that' sort of got my start in uh, bamboo rod making.
1: Okay, and, and can you describe the hand mill? Can you describe that more, what what that is exactly?
0: Okay, um, traditionally, you'd take a strip of bamboo, so let's just say it's a six-sided rod, and you'd take that one strip, and you want to triangulate it. So you'd plane it on one side, and then you'd plane it on the other, trying to get that 60-degree angle, and you'd use a, a, a metal form to do that with a hand plane. With the uh, Tom Morgan... Um, uh, system he had a bed and the bamboo is pinned onto the bed and the on its back and then you have a plane on top with a two carbide teeth in it that form the 60 degree angle and you use that to plane it so you're plating both sides at the same time so it was a different concept it was sort of marrying uh the uh power mill with uh to a method but doing it by hand, hmm. because the, the power mill is the same thing. It cuts on top, but it has the uh, the uh, blades or the teeth rotated by power. But this we are pushing it with a uh, so it made it easier for the for a common guy to get interested in uh, bamboo rod building.
1: Gotcha. Okay. So so yeah, that, that that makes sense then. And so that's essentially just a you're, yeah, you're planing them equally at the same time. So it's kind of a, a way to do exactly it. yeah.
0: The rest of the, you know, the building process is much the same. you still got to, you know, select your strips, uh, you know, straighten them and uh, do everything else you were going to do to it. But the, but the actual planing method was the difference.
1: The planing method, exactly. And I remember, um, I, th- I can't remember if it, if it was um, Joel or Matt, but when we had, I had them both on the podcast. And they said they talked to, you know, because okay. they, they learned... Uh, you know, beside him as well. And he They called him, like, you know, a tinker, right? He had all these little things he was always working on. Is that is that, I guess this was one of those projects. Was he always working on something like that?
0: Yeah, he was always working on something. He had a great mind, and he could envision things. And so he was always coming up with a better way of doing it. With his MS, you know, um, it got worse and worse and worse. And so he had to translate that. To his wife and to Bill Blackburn, who helped him build uh, bamboo rods as well. Uh, I think Bill did most of the bamboo rod making, and Jerry did the graphite rods mm. and the wrapping. Mm-hmm. So he had to sort of direct all that from a, you know, from on his back. Basically, he yeah. had a neat setup with a computer and a and a, um, a voice command. And uh, yeah, he was a he was a, a he was probably the smartest guy I ever met.
1: So, yeah, so obviously, uh, you know, I mean, that this brings us back. This, this makes sense now. You learned from one of the best. And uh, and you were – so you were digging into the uh, bamboo rods from Tom. Mostly that's what you guys were working on. But before that, you had been building already some graphite rods, right?
0: Exactly. Um, my love of bamboo rods came from – in Calgary, you know, like I was talk, talking about, Harry Honor, my fishing mentor. Uh, we would meet with other guys from the club, the Hook and Hackle Club. And you know those guys are older guys, so bamboo still meant something to them because they that's all I fished in 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 their heyday. So that's where I got my love of bamboo rods. And when I came out here, uh, sort of graphite was just sort of coming along. I fished with uh, with the uh, uh, fiberglass rods when I first came here mm-hmm. and then moved on to graphite. And then sort of back to bamboo, uh, I was fishing the EC Powell rods you know he was very famous for making uh, light steelhead rods so i i was you know i was definitely into bamboo but uh, building them was another jump you know that's yeah. why i was lucky
1: to meet tom there you go and tom right that's right did he get start? well i guess we can if we want to dig more into the tom uh story we can maybe put a link out that's a big story yeah we can't we can't cover that in fact i think i probably will do another episode just to cover that but uh, as far as your story you know um So the spay, right? I mean, obviously steelhead and the spay game. What was your, you know, transition like into the spay or had you been doing that the whole time?
0: Well, no. Uh, You know, when I I started steelhead fishing in the 70s, it was a single-handed game, you know. We were fishing basically high-speed, high-D on shooting heads, uh, single-handed rods about nine foot long. Uh, On my first trip, I had a stripping basket that I had bought – on a Montana trip from Dan Bailey when I went down to down there to fish so we were all set up that way but I could really remember I think the second or third steelhead I caught I uh, threw the line out we were making these long casts you know with the, with the mono backing we used cobra which was a, a flat mono behind the shooting heads and as soon as the uh, fly hit the water, I had a steelhead on it, And I wondered, geez, that, that fly didn't have to get down very deep, mm. you know.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: So, yeah, so you learn a lot of things as uh, st- uh, steelheading. And then especially uh, as a guide, too, you know. So we you sort of migrated back from from uh, from using the fastest sinking lines possible, back over to using some floating lines, you know, in your repertoire to catch fish. And then... When you're guiding, I met lots of interesting people, too, that fish different ways and whatnot. Then the, the spay deal came about, you know. Yeah. And uh, so the first spay rods that I can remember were developed by Jimmy Green for, for sage. Yep. And uh, Lonnie Waller and I, I was at a sportsman show with Lonnie, and we went over to uh, Bainbridge Island mm. and visited Don Green over there. And Don Green gave me a 14-foot uh, sage rod. That was my first uh, spay rod. And uh, then I learned how to fish it. And, and I was lucky enough, actually, to meet Simon Gosworth when he was a friend of Jim Vincent's before hmm. he started working for real. Yep. Yeah, and Simon gave me sort of my first uh, spay casting lesson.
1: So I was, I was fortunate
0: wow. in a lot of ways. Well, wow, it's
1: amazing. Yeah. So, you, I mean, this is, this is painting a good picture of, uh, you know, I mean, obviously mentors is, is a huge part of it. So you had, so not only did you have Tom, Mor- Tom Morgan as your rod building mentor, but now, now we had Simon as your, your spay casting mentor. You can't have two better people than that. Yeah.
0: And then, you know, the lines, they've really changed over the years. And, and, um, yeah, I met Jim in the early '80s when he was a fishing bum, photographer type guy, right before he started Real. Oh wow! And uh, he, uh, you know, he had a lot to do with uh, introducing the spay rods to North America um, through, you know, Simon and, and this and that, and then developing the lines. The modern lines really made spay casting a lot easier. You know, that was when the, he, yeah. he introduced the wind cutter with the interchangeable tips. And then, then that whole sort of uh, you know Spay Revolution really got started. So he he really rolled with that and built up a great company.
1: Yeah, I'll put a link out to a George Cook episode. We had him on and he talked about a lot of the Northwest. Yeah, he's
0: neat, eh, George?
1: Yeah, <laughs> a lot of the George is awesome with George. What's that?
0: Yeah, I guided. On, I I spent some time with George. I guided on the Dean for a few years and. And got to know George, he had a group that came out. and Well, I knew him from the shows as well, but I really got to have some fun with him at the, spending a week with him fishing, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Uh, no, George is awesome. So, so okay, so that's a little bit of your background there. And then how, and then when did you take it into where now the, the spay, the bamboo spay rods, you started making those?
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, so... First thing I did is I wanted to make a bamboo spey rod, so that was my number one rod that I built as I was learning f- to build rods from Tom. And I was still guiding at the time, so the, the rod building was my sort of winter project. And uh, so I I, I built, a, I think I built like a eight foot nine uh, Winston copy actually, hollow built uh, Winston rods. And then, like I say, I built quite a few. EC Powell Steelhead rods, which are great rods. The hollow building, you know, really sort of revolutionized uh, steelhead rods because uh, most rods over eight, bamboo rods over eight feet are very uh, heavy when they're solid built. But uh, because of the tournament casting that happened in San Francisco uh, and the hollow rods were developed by Winston and uh, Powell, uh, that's the rods that I use. You could fish them all day, and you know. But when the double-handed rods came out, they I decided, well, gee, I could do one of these in uh, in bamboo. And the great thing about a double-handed rod in bamboo is it's a lot easier to get it balanced than a single-handed rod because of where the reel is. Mm. So when you're casting a say a nine foot or nine and a half foot uh, single-handed bamboo rod, it's a the there's a, there's a, the rods are very tip heavy. Yeah. They just don't balance properly. Even, even if you put a giant reel on the bottom of it, hmm. it's still pretty hard. But with a spay rod, you can get the thing to balance just really nice. And, uh, you know, with your traditional older type of uh, spay reel, say like the Hardy Perfects or something like that and, and the proper handle length and with the hollow building techniques that uh, I learned from Powell and those guys, you got a pretty responsive rod. Uh, they were not like the old uh, bamboo rods, the old rods that were made yep. uh, for fishing in England, like say the old Hardy rods, and uh, and of course back even before those the Greenheart rods. So they were uh, they were quite different, hmm. you know, by putting a few things together, eh?
1: Yeah. Yeah, So, and and just on that hollow piece a little bit, so basically this, you're talking about just the fact that they had a technology that allowed them to be a hollow inside, essentially lighter and all that?
0: Yeah, when something's lighter, it's faster. It moves through the air quicker. And then uh, I was having trouble, I was building my rods with metal ferrules, and I was having trouble with them breaking, because there's a lot of twisting right. and change of direction casting, and you know, of course you're fighting big fish. So the metal ferrels are kind of a stiff point in a rod. Um, so a lot of times, you know, if you stick a stick underneath a stone and pry up, you'll break it just very close to the rock. Well, the same things happens in a bamboo rod. The, the metal part's way stiffer than the bamboo. So Pear Braddon, he says, well, why don't you look at the, um, the spliced rod? And... Um, Sharps and farlows, they were were making spliced bamboo rods, but they were solid. They were incredibly heavy, and the design of them, the tips were very heavy as well. They were what I call line lifting rods, and they picked up a whole lot lot of line off the water and laid it back down again. So your traditional spay cast with a long belly line, whereas, you know, the single-handed rods, we shot line, and the same with the smaller bamboo rods, uh, double-headed rods. That's where they really shine. Is in the smaller models, say 12 feet and under. And basically, you shoot line. And, and again, this is where Jim Vincent and the uh, new and, uh, and improved uh, spay lines come into play. So all the things sort of come together yeah. uh, to make a, a, a modern bamboo rod. So I used the splice and the hollow building uh, hmm. to make a lighter, faster rod in the shorter lengths.
1: Yeah. And they're, you know, they're,
0: they're fun to fish. They weren't cumbersome and heavy.
1: Yep. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So basically lighter. So it's more, well, I mean, I, and I, I guess the action on it still, if you compare the action to say one of your spay rods to, um, you know, your typical, any, any present day, uh, graphite rod, it's still quite a bit kind of slower medium action.
0: Yes, exactly. Uh, it, if you, if you look at bamboo as a material, It's got a little slightly higher modulus than, uh, that's called, you know, the modulus is how it bends, than fiberglass. And, of course, it's really different. Uh, Modern graphite has really got a high tensile strength or a high modulus. Mm -hmm. But, you know, at Winston, where Tom was involved, they used IM6 graphite, and they got quite a nice flexing-type rod, as much as you could, that sort of mirrored more of a bamboo feel, right? Right. And I think uh, with the graphite, they backed off a little bit these days because, you know, you can only take it so far. You know, the rod turns into a poker after a while, and you really can't yeah. feel it bend, you know. Yeah, so they backed off a little bit, and, and we got our bamboo a little faster, so we're a little closer. Now, there is some people who still like, uh, you know, long bamboo rods that are heavy and do move slow, and those guys are the long belly yeah. guys, right? And uh, traditional way of fishing and that that has merit as well
1: gotcha yeah so you're more on the the shorter rods which it seems like a lot of the spade rods are going short you know opst is a good example right they have those really um really super compact stuff the and and are your rods like if you were to get one of your rods what would be a you know a typical line that you would say you might match with your rods or does it or does it matter do you cover kind of all sorts of different lines
0: well, the, the Scandi and the Skagit lines really work well on bamboo rods. Yeah. Uh, because they're short head, right? The head should be like two and a half times perhaps longer than the than the rod is, right? So if you got mm-hmm. a 12, 12 foot rod, you know, that's 12 and 12 is 24, another six, you know. So you want a two and a half to three times the length makes the rod work. You know, it gives you the proper D loop and loads the rod up in a hurry. Yeah, and I think Edward's Ward's done a really amazing job with the OSPT. He's a great line designer. Sort of, he really understands what loads a rod. And um, I think I think you know, looking at what he's doing, I think he likes a little slower action rod as well, with his you know sustained anchor and everything. It doesn't have to be that fast. So those lines, those short lines, really what work well. Like right now, I'm doing a lot of uh, work with trout Space,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which are again even shorter. And again, they want shorter heads, you know, like the skadgets instead of being, say, the skadgets when they first came out, they were like 23, 27 feet, actually, the first skadgets. Now they've moved back down to 23 feet. Well, and then they have the Skaggit short, which was 20. Well, if you look at Ed's Ward's design, he's looking at Skaggit heads that are 11 to 15 feet long, which are about what the uh trout uh, trout gadget yeah. ones are as well for Rio or for some of the other companies. So the lines are you know in the old days it was just a few lines out there. Now you can match a rod in the line really well.
1: Let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. Turtlebox is the loudest, truly portable, waterproof Bluetooth speaker available. Perfect for a skiff, drift boat, or your craft of choice. The guys at Turtle Box believe in respecting the peace and beauty while on the water, but listening to great tunes before or after can be amazing. I remember our last big river trip this summer, and it was cool to break out the Bluetooth speaker as we listened to some classic music and tried to play along with our guitars. Without a Bluetooth speaker, we would have missed a bunch of amazing opportunities and some good laughs. The features I love most on this one are the quality bulletproof frame, easy to push and lighted buttons, and uh, at home you can add another speaker for uh, stereo. To be honest, I've been using uh, this speaker quite a bit around the home and the dance party with the kids has been great. Find out why TurtleBox is our go-to speaker and why it is great for the river as well. Head over to wetflyswing.com turtlebox to support a great company, this podcast, and some tunes. Like I said, I've got an OPST, a, a trout rod, a trout spay uh, that I've been using. And it's, yeah, it's super, super duper light. And uh, and actually, you can just take off the spay. And I threw, the other day I threw, because there was some dry flies, I threw on a, just a five-weight, just my dry line, and it casted amazing. Yeah. I it, it ca- it was like, it cast just as well as my normal rod. So I, so that surprised me. And they told me that. They said that it would do that. but So I don't, I don't know what they're doing, but it seems like, uh, yeah, obviously, Ed has has some experience, so <laughs> uh, well, it's
0: all in design, you know. Yeah, I know that he was a great of Jimmy Green, so
1: I'm sure he, oh, yeah,
0: Ed's quiet, yeah, but he, he, he is
1: Ed's <laughs> Ed's impossible, Ed's impossible. He's one of the guys that you pretty much out of everybody, I, I think I've had you know, many, mostly people I've contacted, I have come on the show, but Ed is the one guy who, who doesn't get back to you, so. yeah. <laughs> He's subtle. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so that brings us back there a little bit on just the history of spade. I wanted to kind of dig a little bit into, you know, we're not going to go deep into building the rods. If somebody did have a question about, you know, they wanted to build a bamboo spade rod, are there any resources? Where would you direct somebody to, to learn more about that whole thing?
0: Well, I, I just, you know, it's funny you should ask, actually, because I just finished doing a series with April Volkey on Anchored Outdoors. Oh, yeah. And... Yeah, so it's a, it's a learning thing. It's called master class, right? And so it's been especially good with COVID, because eh? people can't go like, when the bamboo family, we have these meetings and they started out actually here in British Columbia, at Corbett Lake, and in about, I think in the late 80s. And they've kind of spread all around the country. They have these regional meetings now, bamboo guys. That's the really the sort of like the best place to go to learn, learn from a mentor, learn from a guy who's done it you know, yep. and, uh, but we haven't had, have had to have many of those this year because of the COVID. So April asked me if I do this series. So we went and filmed it all and it basically just shows you how to, you know, start building a bamboo rod from scratch, you know, so you can learn, of course, and there's lots of good books out there as well. So you got to put all the things together, but when those, cla- when those, uh, uh, regional conclaves start up again, I definitely say that's the place to go.
1: Yeah. And and what are the, in the regional uh, conclaves? what what are those exactly?
0: Well, those are bamboo gatherings of people who build bamboo rods. Like in Canada, we have uh, the Corbett Lake gathering. It happens every two years. And on the East coast in Canada, in Ontario, they have Canadian cane, which happens in the alternate year. So there's those two meetings. Mm -hmm. And in the States, they've got several of them. They've got them in Oregon and they got them in Washington, California. We used to have the only one, so that all those people would come up here. But now yeah. with the regional ones, people don't have to go as far. I know they have them in Michigan. They have them in the Catskills. They have them in the southern United States. If you go, you know, if you start looking, go to the uh, internet and start Googling, it, you'll be able to find yeah. one that's pretty close to you.
1: Okay, perfect. Yeah, and, I, and you mentioned April. I'm glad I just talked to April last week. I think she's going to come back on the show. We're going to dig and do some stuff. So yeah, it sounds like she's got some cool uh, things going there. That's a good resource.
0: We used to call, you know, like now they call it DIY, do it yourself, eh? Yeah. So like in the old days, we just, you know, went out and did it, eh? But it's interesting. It's got a label now, but she's kind of, she's kind of interesting. She's brought it to to the forefront by using the internet. And uh, it's it's just a great idea.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think what she's doing, I, I'm not sure. I'm just guessing here, but she pretty much, I think, has a group and she's providing kind of exclusive content, right? That if you get in that group, you can grab that. And that would be one thing she's doing with like with you.
0: Yeah. She, she has a, a lot right now. I think she has a special on where you can buy everything, right? For yeah. Like one price. But normally you would select the course that you want to build. Like you want to learn how to tan a hide. You want to learn how to make primitive fire or, you know, or do you want to make the bamboo rod or do you want to learn how to nymph fish, you know, yeah. is that what they call it, European. Yeah.
1: So yeah, there's yeah. all, these,
0: yeah, all these specialty classes, which are, is really neat. So if you don't have a mentor close by, you know, boom, yeah. you got one on the, on the internet.
1: You got one. That's cool. Yeah. It's cool to hear her. She's going, it sounds like she's expanding out even beyond, beyond fly fishing too on stuff, which is, uh, oh, yeah. yeah. She's not just, uh, She's not just the fly gal anymore. She's got, you know, it's, uh, I guess, uh, bigger. So that's cool to hear. Um, well, oh, yeah, when I touch base with her, we'll, we'll kind of follow up on that stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, on the bamboo. So so maybe let's talk a little bit about, you know, like I said, we're not going to dig into a lot on the building. But as far as the fishing, a couple of things here. You know, when you're fishing that rod, is it going to be much different than the way you fish a normal normal spade rod, graphite?
0: Uh, no, no, I don't think so. Not really. Uh, of course, with the graphite rod, you can get a lot, lot... This is where graphite really shines, is in those longer rods, you know, the 14, 16-foot rods. When I go over to uh, Europe, the British guys just love those big, long rods, you know. And, and the, good, the good thing about a big, long rod is that they're easy to cast, right? Yeah. The longer the rod, the easier it is to cast. In North America here, I think uh, we're really... Uh, we really do things a little bit differently. Uh, you know Lee Wolf he was he was a he really brought the sportsman' sort of way of doing things in lighter and faster and make it more of a challenge hmm. to do, you know. So he brought in that sort of light tackle mentality that we have here where we try to to uh, suit the, the, uh, the tackle we use to the, the, the quarry that we're after, right? Yep. So I think that's the, – the, and that's really progressed now. Like when the, when the spay rods came out, they were 14-footers and we were casting, you know, 650 to 750 grains, right? But if you look back, when I was single-handed fishing, we were casting lines that were between two and 300 grain. We, we were landing steelhead just fine. Thank you very much. Yeah. So I think when people realize that maybe we're a bit overgunned, you know, we don't need to have as heavy a tackle – so you can cast a bamboo rod that fishes, you know, say, say 450 grains or 350 grains or 200 and something grains and still land a steelhead mm-hmm. and and be more in contact with the fish. I will say when you catch a fish on bamboo, it feels twice as big. Oh, that's, it does. That's what pluses of bamboo, yeah.
1: You feel it, you're you feel just it more.
0: Connected. You're, you're more connected. And, you know, it brings you back into history a little bit. It connects you to what's happened before. Yeah. It's, it's the same sort of thing in rod building, you know, like everything is built upon the people who came before you. I don't have any new ideas. I just try to improve what's going on. One thing leads to another.
1: Like, you know, nobody
0: invented the wheel here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. How do you think on the bamboo st- rod building? I mean, how do you think you've improved on past some of the history of the old, you know, people? Well, you?
0: hollow building, taking the hollow building,
1: you know, yeah. over. That's
0: uh, it, One thing I learned from Powell and and Winston, so making the rod lighter and faster, shortening the rods, you know, the rods back in the old days were those big long ones. It took a real man to cast those rods. But again, they, you know, they didn't cast them a lot, you know, they picked it up and then they laid down the line. I'm sure if they had the rods that we have nowadays, they'd enjoy it as well, too, you know. Yeah. So things have changed. Our standards have changed. Unfortunately, graphite is the standard today. So, our bamboo rods are more graphite-like than they were at other times. Eh?
1: Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, short. And then, yeah. are there, uh, you know, from the rods, your style rods, the shorter, the twelve and a, I mean, twelve and a half foot is great. I mean, that's that's a great length. Is that what sort of rods do you build? Do you or do you customize things depending on what people want, or do you have some standard kind of? Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. I have a talk with the with you know the
1: people when I when I get in
0: contact with them, you know twelve and a half thirteen would be a big rod in in a bamboo spey rod, you okay. know, and I sell I sell thirteen foot rods. Guys really like them, you know they can, they can fish a longer head, you know they'll fish a fifty three to sixty foot head, and they like that traditional feeling. Myself personally, I, I like to fish a rod about eleven feet long. Uh, if I'm fishing a dry line, that would be a five six, say 350 grains. And people say, "Oh, 5 six, isn't that too light for a steelhead?" And I say, "It's 350 grains. Yeah. Maybe we should throw the number designation out of here." <laughs> right. You know. Yeah.
1: yeah. Whatever. Yeah. You add a couple of line weights or whatever you say. So five six would be more like a, a, a seven eight, I guess, in a normal. Uh, well, I guess yeah. it is a little no, confusing. Not... The, the grain rate is the better way to look at it. Yeah,
0: 350 grains. Look at this, 350 grains in a single-handed rod designation is a 13-weight.
1: Oh, wow. You know?
0: Yeah, when I first started fishing with steelhead, I was fishing a 11-weight. It was 330, uh, 330 grains, right? Jeez. And so, yeah, and uh, the teeny 200s and 300s, which were very popular, you know, like a 300 is a 10-weight, Right. So we're fishing a five six because of this line designation that's three hundred and fifty grains. So they're kind of pulling the wool over our face, but you know, but they think it's really light, you know. And the <clears> same <throat> thing's happening in this trout space. I'm building a rod right now that I call a three four in spade designation. I land steelhead on it all the time. It's two hundred and seventy grains. It's a nine weight rod. Yeah, it has no trouble. So they kind of got you fooled. You're out there catching these two to three pound trout on a nine weight rod. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's not really, it's not really a three weight. So n- I think sometimes we should just go, we should throw those number designations out the window and just call it what it is. Call it grade weight. Yeah. Or grams. If you're, if you're a European. Right. Right.
1: Up. Yeah. And I thought we, and I mean, that I think it's a good thing. Yeah. Throw it out the window. I, and I thought that kind of was the way I, I thought, you know, kind of, a lot of people tend to think of it as grain weight, but the, I guess the industry is trying to put some sort of a standard on it, right? So people can know just like a single hand rod.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yes. And no, because the, they do have a designation, you know, for double handed rods and single handed rods. you know, and I think Simon was involved in this a lot, but I was just looking at this new, this new line company the other day, you know, and their five, six is, you know, 500 and something grains, you know, like, oh wow, <laughs> you know, so it's a, It's a little bit over the board, eh? Yeah. Do you know most graphite rods, you want to go a line size up. So they got got the thing, say, oh, you want a nine for a five, right? And uh, so you go to, to put the line on there. Well, it doesn't work. You need to go up to a six maybe. And then what some line companies have done is actually change the line designation. So the lines, they say a five, but they weigh this, what, a six weighs, because nobody weighs their lines, you know, they believe everything that's on the packaging. <laughs> eh? yeah. And I weigh all my lines because I gotta know when I'm designing a rod, I gotta know what the grain weight that it, it can throw. So I always weigh all of my lines. The uh, spay rod designations, they're pretty too, true. When you buy a line and they're in a and they're in a, a grain weight, they're really true. But in a single handed line, they're all over the map. Yeah. You if they tell you it's a five, it's not really true. It could be a six. It could be a seven.
1: Yep. Gotcha. Okay. And yeah, I mean, obviously there's some technical stuff there that, that we can maybe uh, dig into at a later point. Um, I was <laughs> I was curious on the, the rod itself. Is the bamboo, you know, like you're talking the 13 foot, 12 and a half, or even the 11 foot spay, is that a good rod if yeah. somebody's kind of new to the spay game to, to kind of get started with? Is that a good thing to learn on?
0: Well, I tell people they should always learn on about a 14-foot plastic rod, right? Learn how that's a lot easier. A, a good all-around rod for a person that's interested in bamboo, to get started with, is about a 12-foot rod, I think. Yeah. They're, they're light enough, and they're, and they're, you know, so once you get started, learn your basics. And another thing a person could do is, if they're interested in, in getting into the spay game, is take a lesson, right it's a uh, uh, yep. it's better to have the you know the proper form to begin with it's really hard if you get the uh do it wrong to correct it your technique so uh, taking a lesson is really good if you're playing tennis or whatever you take a lesson yeah so take a take a lesson and do it with a balanced outfit if your outfit is not balanced like these spay rod lines are much more critical to a um to a double-handed rod than they are a a single-handed rod. You know, when you're casting a double-handed rod, it's got a load and fire all in one sort of motion. Whereas a single-handed rod, you work the line backwards and forwards till you feel the rod load and then you let it go. So it's really critical that you have a balanced outfit.
1: Yeah, this is. Uh, I mean, there's definitely a different, a few different ways that I could take this conversation. I mean, I think that the building, <laughs> the the building of it is interesting to me. You know, because I think I would love sure. to. You know, I'd lo- maybe I'll take April's course and, and watch you. Uh, you know, watch you do it. There. Maybe yeah. we can just start there just quickly because I, I, yeah, I'm sure there are some people that would love to hear sure. so let's go to that course you just did for April we don't have to dig into everything but can you just briefly talk no. about what you did for her and could that help us explain how you how somebody might get into building and how you do it
0: sure yeah basically you start at the beginning you know you start you've got to have your tools lined up first so I, I explain what you need for tools right uh, this is where the, where a video is nice rather than a book is that you can see the tools right mm-hmm so you've got to des- decide what method you're going to be. Are you going to be a traditional hand planer, which say the Garrison uh, method is, or are you going to be the Tom Morgan uh, hand mill? So, yeah. so that's the first thing you got to decide. So equipment, you got to have your equipment. Then you got to have your bamboo, and uh, having the right bamboo is critical. We use Tonkin bamboo. There's about a thousand different types of bamboo. And uh, this one is the strongest. It has the h- highest tensile strength. That's what you want to use because you want to make the rod lighter, less material. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, right now, that stuff comes from China. And there's there's not many import importers. David Serafin, uh, Angler's Bamboo, he's the guy to get the bamboo from. He's sort of taken over for where Andy Royer used to. I don't know if you've seen Andy's mm-hmm. film, uh, Trout Grass, which is really... A, cool thing. is oh, about nice. him going to China and selecting the bamboo that we use.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He takes Hoagy Carmichael actually with him. And I think Glenn Brackett's in there as well. Uh, they take some uh, combs to uh, to uh, Twin Bridges and, and uh, Glenn was working with Winston at the time and they start making a bamboo rod. But anyway, it's a great little movie to see. Oh, nice. So you've got to have your tools, you got to have your bamboo and then you start... Building it, yeah, and we uh, we got to decide whether we want to flame the bamboo or we want to use it blonde, and then we split the bamboo, triangulate it, glue it up. We got to know our tapers too, as well. That's another thing. Got to decide what you, what kind of a rod you're going to build. So you can see, there's a lot of stuff to.
1: There's a lot more getting into it. Up. Yeah, than just a graphite. Where you get a graphite blank and from wherever, and then you just yeah you wrap it and stuff. But here you got to do a whole actually building the rod before you and before you get to that point. Can you get? Can you just go out there and find a a bamboo blank from companies? Are they selling those?
0: There's a few companies that sell bamboo blanks. Yeah, guys that may make them up, you know. I think, but uh, I wouldn't recommend it myself because. You don't know what you're really getting, you know, and there's some a lot of, well, I shouldn't say a lot of rods, but there's a few Chinese companies now that are making bamboo rods, and they look pretty nice, but sometimes they don't always use the best components, you know. Yeah. So I would say for a finished product, you know, buy North American or European, you know, But let's, let's, let's say buy North American, eh? Canada and, and the yeah. United States, I feel that we're in this together. And, you know, that's yep. the whole trouble with the world. We're buying raw resources. We send uh, lumber and timber over to China, China and Japan. And, yeah, we buy bamboo back. That's great. We can turn that into something, you know. Yeah. And I think what's really going on in the States right now with Joe Biden is, you know, buy America, buy North America and stuff, you know. It's yeah. really good. We'll go on about that. But that's the craftsmanship and, and workmanship, you know, if you're going to buy something from it. You can get a cheap stuff, but you're better off to buy a cheap graphite rod than you are a cheap bamboo. Right, rod. You right? You know, you can catch a fish with a fifty dollar graphite rod. You know, but if you want a bamboo rod, they'll last a long time. They're actually, you know, tougher than a graphite rod. They're going to last a lot longer. People are are careful with the bamboo rods because they spend a little more money on them. But but in actuality, they're they're tougher than a graphite rod.
1: Hmm. That's that's interesting here. So. so... So tougher meaning you can, I mean, you still obviously want to take care of it. A
0: car over, you can <laughs> run a car over them, you know, and you can't with a graph, you know, so they're, 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 they're pretty tough. Um, you know, like getting back to what people get started again, you know, there's, there's lots of books that are published with lots of, you know, how to things and there's the tapers in there that you need, Right. But like I say, taking a course. There's uh, some rod building courses that are offered by different rod building guys that haven't been going right now because of the COVID thing, right? Or going to these, going to these conclaves where you're meeting other guys that build rods and you know mentoring with somebody, or going to April's uh, thing there yeah. and uh, seeing how to do it online with a video, and then you know I'm willing to help people with the feedback and this and that if they don't understand stuff and this and that, so. There's lots of ways to do it, but it is a complicated thing. And like you said, it's just not like buying the components and sticking the components together. I started out that way with graphite rods, right? I buy the blanks and it'd make a rod, right? But all you're really doing is the cosmetics. And this is the real beauty of a bamboo rod, is that after a while, you can design exactly what you want. Otherwise, you're stuck in somebody else's design
1: mode, right? Yeah, that's cool.
0: So you can build whatever you want. That's the real beauty of it.
1: Let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. Sawyer offers a full line of modern and traditional products for oarsmen, canoeists, kayakers, surfers, and paddlers of all genres, providing unsurpassed function, performance, and beauty. They design and handcraft every product in the USA, ensuring everything they make is from the highest quality materials with careful attention to detail. They take pride in their employees, stewardship of the environment, and our country. In return, you have the assurance of knowing the product you receive from them is genuine, made in America, and cannot be replicated. I've been using Sawyer products for a long time now, which is why I'm definitely excited to share them with you on the podcast here. I've been down some crazy technical whitewater and mini fishing adventures that put me in places that were... um, where I had to make a good move. And I, I love the design, the power of the performance, and always knowing that um, I can count on that stroke, even when you need to make you know that one to get past the rock or whatever. You can always count on Sawyer for that. And you can count on them as well. Sawyer products are designed by paddlers, oarsmen, and surfers alike to fully meet your performance needs. Pick up one today and experience the feel of water. Head over to wetflyswing.com Sawyer to grab your set today. That's Sawyer, S-A-W-Y-E-R, wetflyswing.com slash Sawyer to get started. And I wanted to just talk about that briefly here on, you know, because that is the cool thing. Yeah, you get this, essentially, you know, going back to the start again, you get this bamboo, this piece of bamboo and the first part, uh, like you're talking about that tool that Tom created, where you're kind of planing it equally on both sides, so you're getting your six sided bamboo. How how do you get the hollow p- piece of the bamboo? Is that a specific type of bamboo? You have to the, ho-
0: the hollow. I show that I show the how to do it. There's several different ways of doing a hollow, like there's a of anything. But basically, you're taking you're going to have an inside wall dimension. You know, with a graphite rod, the walls of the graphite are so thick, right? They're whatever they are 30,000 40,000 50,000 60,000 well it's the same thing in in the bamboo rod you're going to you're going to hollow out the inside of the pith mm-hmm. you know the top part of the triangle to a, a certain depth right and, and there's different machines for doing that yep. there's a, you know you can uh, yeah i i use a method with a uh, with a router and a carbide burr And I can do the strips at the time and and adjust the the depth of the cut. So, you know, I've seen people do it by hand, setting up some jigs by hand and and cutting down to the level of that jig with a plane or some kind of hand tool as well. So you can do it in lots of different methods. It's a very innovative uh, uh, craft, eh?
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, People make a lot of their own tools and things. It's a... it's a really a, a neat craft, like cool. like a lot of crafts, our guitar building or, or what what have you, you know, knife building. Yeah. It's a,
1: Yeah, sounds awesome. It's innovative. Sounds awesome. It sounds like one of those things, just like a lot of things in fly fishing, you know, fly tying. It's just, yeah, you have that artistic thing. You can you can kind of dig in as deep as you want to go, and in, in the bamboo. Building a, a rod, uh, you know, all from the start is pretty much the full deal. Um, well, what is that? So, uh, you know, again, going back to that rod, so you can hollow it out. You get to that point, you're you're uh, kind of getting the six-sided bamboo. What else, wh- you know, what else are you doing there with that rod before, you know, it's finished? Is there, are there a ton of steps?
0: Yeah, we've done the, the taper, eh? The taper is all important, eh?
1: Like yeah. The
0: design of the rod. It could be, you know, like this, I had somebody phone me the other day. They wanted a, a long... A long uh, line uh, say a light rod that was long so it's I like, yeah. say a three weight that's nine and a half feet long you know so that's got to have special design features right or if you want a spay rod that's gonna cast 450 grains right so how you put that design feature in is what makes the rod so you can sort of build whatever whatever you want so once you've t- you've planed it to that you've done your hollowing that what you want and you're gonna glue it up and you put, run it through the binding machine, which pulls it all together under pressure, and you applied your glue onto there. And now you've got your blank. And then, the, the once you've built your be- blank, then the rod finishing is the same. You're gonna put your handle, your guides, yeah. everything up Do a component on a graphite blank, right? So there's sort of two phases for it. making the blank and then
1: then putting it together. And where is the just describe the uh, the split the the splitting the split bamboo? What what is that piece of it?
0: Well, you're starting off with a column, right? A bamboo. That's what they call the round column of bamboo. Yeah. And you're gonna split it into widths. Say, whatever the dimension of the strip that you're gonna build, you're gonna you're gonna start splitting it by hand. It splits very easy longitudinally. So, like a, like when you're cutting a cedar kindling or yeah. something like that you cut the long you cut the long strips, whatever the length of your rod's going to be, plus your waist plus your stagger, because you've got to stagger your nodes. So you split that and then you start to triangulate that, and uh, then that taper from one end to the other. That's what you 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 put on the handmill or on the plating form, mm. right? So, yeah, you've got like gotcha. the you know I, I tell people I just I can't tell you how to do it no.
1: Over the floor, you can't. It's or o- or that's, the same. That's the obvious you thing, Bob. See it, yeah, see it visually. <laughs> That's that's the obvious thing is that as we talk about this, there's no way it's not a podcast. It's like I think, you, yeah, this is one where you need a video. In person would be the best, you know, obviously. But it sounds like yeah. you you uh, you can actually learn through videos as well. So that that uh, that's cool. Yeah. I'll talk to when I talk to April, I'll put a link out to her thing as well. Yeah, this is a you
0: know a podcast is just to get people started. Eh? Yeah, there's there's always a path. To everything, right? So you start your journey at one end, you know. So maybe somebody turns in this podcast and boy, I'd really like to do that.
1: Exactly. And then
0: they start digging, just like we do with the computer these days. You know, what a marvelous tool, Google or whatever is. eh? we start to
1: dig. Exactly. Then then they meet you out there, right? That's the thing. They 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 listen. Right now, somebody's listening. Probably they're jogging. They're in their car. They're just listening in the background. They're like, oh. Yeah, bamboo. Gosh, that sounds cool. And just like you're saying, that they're like, gosh, this Bob guy sounds cool. And then down the line, that you find they're fishing up uh, up there on the Skeena, and you, right, you run into them.
0: Yeah, it's a, ser- a little bit of serendipity of things, you know. Like uh, I was looking for a particular glue the other day, and then I ran into somebody. They mentioned it to me, and then I and I saw it again in another article. I, you know, so you put the things together, you know. So if you're interested in bamboo rod building it's out there on your radar all of a sudden things start to come in to your radar zone eh
1: Yeah
0: you start putting it together
1: That's right That's right and I imagine once you get going there's like you said there's a there's tons of people out there doing it it seems like you know here you hear about the, the graphite the sage all the big companies out there but in the bamboo You know, you're there, but are there a bunch of, you know, big name bamboo, especially on the space side of it? Or is it it mainly people, you know, just a few people like yourself?
0: Well, how it's been for a lot of years, I'll sort of describe what bamboo rod building has been. You know, before World War II, it was the rod, right? This is before fiberglass. Yeah, so they had factories to build these things. They had saws and they had people and, you know, people sitting there at their station and doing the same thing all day long, right? It's like any factory. But when the tubes came out, fiberglass, which was, you know, sort of World War II, sort of helped to come along, fiberglass tubes. And then, of course, graphite tubes in the 70s. It, things came along. And what that does is that allows you to mass produce things. So all those bamboo factories, of course, they closed down, right? Mm-hmm. So there was a few sort of like hand builders left, right, that made – because people still like bamboo rods, right? Now, the hand-built ones – I feel that they're way superior than a uh, than a factory built rod because a factory built rod would sell anywhere from five to twenty bucks, you know. <laughs> but these uh, these hand built rods were getting a lot more money at the time. So then there was sort of a, resurg- a resurgence in the craft. Hoagy Carmichael put out the book, you know, uh, what we call the, the Bible, you know, with the, with Garrison on the on rod building. And that got a lot of people started. That was in the 70s as well. And that brought back the traditional hand planing. The hand planing was how do you make a handmade rod. The factory guys, you know, that built a lot of rods, like it was done with sawing and everything. Well, bamboo, if you split it with the grain, I believe it works better than if you saw it. And sometimes the bamboo's not always straight, so it's not as strong when it's sawed, right? Hmm. So the your handmade bamboo rods, I feel, are superior. Yeah. So there's a bunch of people that did it. But then, like I say, the, the more that graphite became popular, the more this thing kind of fell off the other end. And so, then, but there's a few people that, you know, that, uh, that uh, if you look around, that were still making high demand uh, rods. Uh, Winston was sort of there in the middle. They were sort Mm -hmm. of still that sort of factory, but not quite. They're one step above the factory. They did make what we call a production rod, where they have a team of people making a rod, but not quite like the old days where they had, you know, hundreds of people Mm. making the rods. So they put a lot of care and attention, Glenn Brackett and Tom Morgan, when they worked with Winston, when they bought, when Tom bought that company Mm. You know, it was starting to fail because the bamboo rods were being replaced by graphite and uh, fiberglass. And Tom, when he had Winston, of course, he sold the other two as well. Right. And the bamboo was always there, but it was a small component of what they were really selling. Then there was, there's certain hand builders, you know, that get a lot of money for, for rods. Say, I would say that Pear Brandon is probably at the top of his craft. Hmm. And, you know, he's getting a three to 4000 or maybe more dollars for a rod. Wow. But he's building a piece of art, you know. It's not only it's not only beautiful, it's very functional as well. So you're buying his creation. It's like going out and buying a famous painter, is uh, yeah. what I put it to, yeah. right? All right? So, and... So there's guys that are coming along. You know, when I started, say, 25 years ago, building bamboo rods, uh, you know, I've learned and learned and learned. And I hope that I'm passing on my craft to other people as well right now. I sort of was in a lucky place at the right time for, say, bamboo spay rods because they were coming out. And I was in steelhead country, making living here, fishing for steelhead. So I sort of transitioned into that and sort of did a resurgence of bamboo rods, and there's other makers that have come on board since then that are making, uh, you know, James Reed mm-hmm. makes a nice uh, spay rod. There's uh, another an guy, uh, Reed, I think, down in Oregon or that area that makes nice rods as as well. So mm-hmm. there's um, uh, Mark uh, from down your way, um, Mark, I forget his name. Anyway, there's there's guys out there. It's a, it's an, it's, you know, bamboo rod making is a, a small part of of rod making, say, you know. Yeah. And bamboo spay rod making is even a smaller part of the business. It's like, you know, I once talked to Simon Gosworth, you know, and I, we were talking about spay lines and how neat they were and everything like that. And I said, so, well, what percentage are they of your business? And he says, 5%. He says, you know, you want to make a success of your company, you want to own the, the five-way forward business.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know,
0: yeah, yeah. it's not the stay rod business.
1: I love, I love the we talked about the well the niches or the ditches that you know the, but it's really interesting for me because you know this podcast you know wet fly swing we started out when we got going it was focused on steelhead right it was mostly steelhead and right and as we got into it I started to realize you know that. You know, I didn't want to be stuck in just the steelhead. And I wasn't thinking about monetizing as much. I was just thinking about, like, what do I wanted to dig into. So since then, we've gone into all fly fishing, right? I mean, we just did an episode on right. fly fishing for billfish with, with Jake Jordan, exactly. right? So so, so fly fishing is amazing, but yeah, so you got these tiny niche, but you can niche down, you, you, you're, you're niched down into this, this little tiny niche and you've got all sorts of people out there. That, that is the struggle though, is like example, the, um, like the magazine, um, we had the editor of, uh, swing the fly magazine, right. And he, you know, he can't, yes. ma- he can't make a business out of that because it, it's right. It's, yes. it's too small of a niche, um, or, or whatever. So, yeah. I mean, do you find those struggles for yourself that you're in such this tiny niche that, that it's hard to. Um, to make, you know, I mean, it sounds like you have a business going, but how's that, how's that struggle been?
0: Yeah. It's i I've been, I've been very lucky. You know, I live in an area where I don't need a lot of money. everything I I own is paid for. So it's not like, like I'm living in a city and I got like my daughter has a $5,000 mortgage payment, you know, (laughs) you know, like people live in in the big city, they got big mortgage payments, right? So it'd be a lot harder for, to be a bamboo rod builder in a big city. Yeah. So I have everything paid for it doesn't really take that much money. I've got about a two-year waiting list. Oh wow! I could charge, I could charge more money, but I feel like I'm making a a, a decent living uh, right now, and I want to, I want to balance that with going fishing. Of course, you know, yeah. and that's the reason I, I came out and moved out here. But I, I think a person can do whatever they want. Uh, you know, if yep. you just gotta. It's yep. like the it's like that fly fly magazine it's 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 like a very niche thing, so he's got to change it a little bit, you know, or to to make it a success or,
1: yeah,
0: you know, if things come and go, or maybe he's got to move to a smaller community. The first thing that uh, Tom Morgan did when he bought uh, Winston Rod Companies, he moved to Twin Bridges. You know, real estate, I don't know if you've been to Twin Bridges, no. but it's a little horse town, and you know, the real estate's a lot cheaper. It's a lot cheaper to live there
1: yep. uh, for a start,
0: and we're finding that now with the internet. People are moving to places because they can work online. Yeah. Right.
1: That's right. So, uh,
0: yeah, you've got a, I'm in a niche business. You've got to sort of fit it with, I I could say I couldn't afford to do this if I had a big mortgage to pay.
1: Yeah. That's right. That's right. You have more of a, I think what people, yeah, a lifestyle business really is kind of what people maybe call it. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It depends what you want. You if you want
0: to have, you know, a lot of the amenities that a city life Go, going to the theater and uh, going out for dinners and this and that—if that's your bag, well, then you're stuck in that kind of lifestyle. But if that's not important to you and you enjoy the outdoors, well, you can really move anywhere these days and, and make a living. I came out here. I didn't really have any particular skills, you know. Um, I le- I learned how to do everything on the on the fly out here, basically. You know, built my own house. Didn't I? Didn't know how to build anything, you know? Yeah. So you just, you know, yeah. There's lots of good uh, books out there. I built my own house by reading a book, you
1: know? No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. Nice. Well, this is this has been fun, Bob. I think um, maybe we could take it out here. You know, we haven't touched on steelhead at all. And is steelhead, I mean, sure. obviously that's kind of your focus. Uh, do you have a little bit of time to wrap this up with a little, a couple of steelhead questions? Sure. And you're up on the Skeena, right? Well, Are you fishing kind of all the whole Skeena?
0: I'm on the Skeena. Yeah, I live on the Kitsby Ox River, right? Uh, yep. I'm looking at it right now. Uh, the Kispieaux is a, a tributary of the Skeena. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the area, but uh, there's several. Yeah.
1: I fished the Kispieaux once, and we uh, we actually got skunked that day. And, and I think I think that same week, some guy caught a world record steelhead. So it's I, I know I know <laughs> the lore of it, right? It's an amazing place, but hard to fish sometimes.
0: Yeah, it's a I call it a mean mean-hearted river. Sometimes you know, sometimes you're not going to get anything, and other days you're going to get a beautiful fish. So uh, yeah, that's why I moved here. I enjoyed coming up here fishing, so I moved up here, and uh, it's a it's a great place to live. You know, I I enjoy the outdoors. There's of course the fishing season is only a short time of year, but the steelhead fishing season. But there's trout fishing in the in the summertime and uh, rod building in the wintertime.
1: Well, what else you got? Just as we take it out of here, you mentioned a few people uh, here that were you know pretty big names. You know, in the fly fishing space. Are you? You know, do you plan? Do you stick pretty close to home? I mean, obviously with COVID and stuff. But do you do you have plans to hit any any destinations or any other places outside of the uh, skiing area?
0: Yeah, well, I've I've been lucky enough to fish Scotland. Oh wow! And I went to Russia. I went to Russia one time, but unfortunately, we got there at the wrong time of year. The the water was extremely high there. I caught a few fish, but really didn't get the you know the. I got the feeling of the place, but I didn't get satisfied. Right, it is an incredible place. So. And it's getting a little harder to get there and a little more expensive these days to, to fish Russia. I'd like to go to the Kamchatka Peninsula one day to fish for steelhead. That would be on my list. I know Ed has been over there guiding. Um, right now, I'm planning a trip in 2022 to go fish for sea run browns in, in Terro de Fuego. Oh, yeah. That's something I've always, always wanted to do. Uh, you know, uh, Joe Brooks, uh, You know, yep. another classic angler, Joe Brooks went down there and um and uh, i've always wanted to go down there so i plan to do a trip that's coming up here pretty soon probably like do a bamboo week down there which is going to be fun
1: nice nice that sounds
0: yeah yeah it's going to be on the rio gallegos so
1: yeah perfect yeah, we've been talking about that a little bit here too. Just uh, I've been talking to some people down down there trying to put together a trip. We've got a little group uh, the, at wetflyswing.com slash members where it's kind of similar to what April has going, but we're just kind of bringing people together to talk and, you know, travel, fish together and connect people that are listening to this. Exactly. To yeah. So obviously that's big.
0: It's the same thing, you know. If you with the bamboo, like that's why I do the bamboo week because people want to learn maybe about bamboo, or maybe maybe they want to build bamboo, or maybe they want to fish bamboo. But uh, you know, that of interest to people.
1: Yeah, perfect. All right, Bob. Well, I think you know, obviously, we could keep uh, chatting here, but I'll kind of uh, let you get out of here, respect your time uh, a little bit. But uh, anything new coming for you in the next uh, six months to a year that you want to give a, a heads up on, either with your company or personally?
0: Well, um basically I'm sort of semi retiring in, in the rod business. Oh, now. Nice. Like I say I'm a little f- yeah, I'm a little further out than I want to be. I'm always going to be building rods, though. So I don't want people to think that I'm going to stop building rods. Uh, but I am going to sort of stop taking orders for a while and I'm going to if, if people want a rod built, I'm going to put them on a list which is not a a paid list i'm not going to take deposits anymore for for rods i'm still hopefully like going to build rods the same uh, same amount of rods every year gotcha but this way this way i won't have any commitments to build a rod i got somebody's money i feel like i have to build yeah. a rod right yeah if people if people want a rod i'm still willing to build them a rod and uh, it doesn't even cost them any money this time to put them on the list and then i'll just phone them up when their name comes up and see if they're still interested if they're not interested that's okay too, you know. If yeah. they're interested, they can get uh, a rod of mine,
1: you then know. get it going.
0: And right. uh, maybe I'll have a little more time for fishing. Who knows?
1: So, your son there isn't going to take over the business and, and build build rods and keep that
0: going? Uh, who knows, eh? Uh, yeah. <laughs> he, uh, yeah, he has to fish a lot, but uh, I think he's more focused that way right at the moment.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. So where would you direct somebody if they can't get a rod from you because it's going to take too long they want to buy a nice custom rod? Who else would you send them to that could build a nice bamboo spay rod?
0: Yeah, I I think, uh, you know, that's really hard to think. I think they're going to have
1: to do the digging on On their own. But, uh, you know,
0: if they want to, they get a hold of me, I might be able to point them in the right direction. I know James Reed, he's he's pretty busy as well. A lot of the guys are, are pretty busy, so... Um, I th- I think like you know the guy wants a rod he's just gonna have to wait a little while there's that's this it's not instant gratification when you want a uh, spay rod there's lots of single handed rod makers out there so that's not a problem yeah now, that's one thing we didn't talk about what's really changed in the rod business when we were saying the evolution of the bamboo rod making yeah now there's not so many builders who are making a living on it but there's lots of sort of part time guys. Because of the Tom Morgan hand mill, that are building six to twelve rods a year, but unfortunately they're not on the internet, right? They're they're doing it for themselves and for friends. Yeah. So it has changed. There's not as many commercial sort of rod builders out there. So hey, if somebody wants to be a commercial rod builder, there's something you can do.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say. I think maybe that's the thing. If you want a bamboo rod, why don't you just just learn how to do it yourself and, and build your own rod? You kind of cover everything.
0: And you're gonna get if you get into that world, you're gonna meet the, pe- the people, you know. Like, yeah. you don't you don't want to build a you don't want to buy a, a bamboo spay rod from a guy you really don't know, because it, it could be the greatest rod in the world or it could be a piece of crap, you know. So, you've got to you've got to know what you're buying.
1: Yeah, was that handmill the biggest tool? What what has the, been the biggest tool in the last since you know Tom Morgan that's helped people with the? Bamboo? Oh, I
0: think yeah. I, I, that's a, I think the handmills kind of revolutionized the uh, bamboo rod building and of course the internet too eh
1: yeah
0: the internet is connected to people
1: yeah you know? totally.
0: it is a quest if you want to be a builder it is a quest get you know start your quest
1: there you
0: it's go a lot, it's a fun way, fun thing to do in life
1: enjoy enjoy the journey okay cool Bob Well, I'll uh, send people to river uh, riverwatchrods.com if they have questions and uh, yeah. yeah I just want to thank you for all your time today this has been fun
0: okay thank you Take care.
1: So there you go. If you want to find all the show notes and all the links we covered, just go to wetflyswing.com slash 216. That's 216. Please, uh, if you get a chance, uh, click the subscribe button or follow whatever the app that you're on uh, mentions. Um, It'd be great. That's the best way we know of to help uh, allow people to find this podcast. The more you subscribe, the better chance we have to find some new listeners out there. So I appreciate that uh, if you had a chance to do that. I uh, wanted to uh, give you a heads up. Uh, if you tune in next week, next Tuesday morning, uh, I have Jack Dennis on to hear and share his amazing story. Jacks uh, obviously, he's been a big name in fly fishing, and he talks about many of the uh, famous people uh, that he's he knows and is connected to, like Ted Williams um Glenn Close uh, you name it pretty much it seems like he pretty much knows everybody so a l- real fun one uh, with Jack Dennis uh, next week so um, so that's all I have for you today I appreciate your support I appreciate you listening in to uh, the end here uh, always blows me away um, but I know as a podcaster it's always fun sometimes you can't click stop um, maybe it's just playing and you want to click stop but anyway so thanks again Uh, And uh, yeah, hit hit the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.